0: Charity that it would accomplish its intended purpose. I pray God that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive. God, what you would have for us, what you would have for the church. We thank you for it, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, "Amen," and "Amen." Give God another hand clap of praise. If you're able to, would you remain standing for the reading of God's word? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to open them to the gospel of Luke, chapter number five, Luke's gospel, chapter number five, we're going to begin reading in verse number 27. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, the scripture will be on the screen for you, but Luke's Gospel, chapter number five. Again, we're gonna be reading verse number 27. This is the story of Matthew, the tax collector that Jesus will call to himself. This is the account. It's also found in Mark chapter two, Matthew nine, but we're gonna read it this morning. Out of Luke's gospel, if you're there, would you say amen? And verse number 27 says, After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And look at Matthew's response in verse 28 so he left all, not some, not a portion. But he left all, and he rose up, and he followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then look at Jesus' response in verse 31, I believe we, we have the heart of God here. The heart of the gospel in verse 31. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, the, the self-proclaimed righteous. Who see no need to repent. But I have come to call sinners to repentance. Repentance. Look at verse 31 again. Jesus answered and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray one more time. Again, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is truth. And again, God, I pray that our hearts would be open this morning. For what you would have for us, be glorified, be honored in all that's said and done. We thank you for it. we pray these things. In Jesus' name, everyone said, "Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning." We are in the middle of a series of messages here at Bethel Church that we are calling the core. And in this series, we are looking at the core values here at Bethel Church. And we hear a lot in today's culture about core values, the, the need for them, and the importance of having them. And we have two definitions that we have been looking at. The first is from the business world, and, and it's here that we learn that our core values are our guiding principles. The principles that, that guide us and direct us so we don't drift. And today there's a lot of trends. There's a lot of currents. There's a lot of distractions, but our core values help guide us and and they, they guide our conduct and they help keep us focused and they help keep us on course. The second definition, it comes from the fitness world. In the fitness world, you hear a lot about the core, the inner core, having a strong core and how we can how we can strengthen our core. And it's here the core values help us maintain strength. They help us to maintain stability. Our, our core values create a stable base, and they allow us to stand upright and to improve our posture in this crooked and perverse world in, in which we live. So our core values are our guiding principles, and they help us maintain strength and our stability in addition to our core values we have a vision and we have a mission statement here at Bethel Church our vision is loving the father living the word and embracing the world and our mission is to grow that's our discipleship to gather that's our fellowship to give that's our service to glorify that's our worship to god and to go which is our mission but we know that these statements can be vague these these statements can be ambiguous so what keeps us grounded from drifting into compromise as we grow and as we gather and as we give and as we glorify and as we go are our core values And it's our prayer that coming off our 75th anniversary celebration that you as partners, those who have partnered with the vision and the mission here at Bethel Church would adopt and recommit to these core values as your own. So each week we've been looking at these core values and there are six of them. In week one we talked about biblical authority. We regard the, the Bible as the foundation of our faith, believing that it is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. We believe that every word in, in the Word of God is inspired. Every word is God-breathed. The Scripture says, Holy men spoke and wrote as they were moved, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so everything we do here at Bethel Church, is being built upon the foundation of the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Every time the doors are open, we are preaching and we are teaching and we are declaring the word of God because we know that God's word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 27. The Apostle Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And that's what you're going to get here at Bethel Church. You're going to get the whole counsel of God, because we believe in biblical authority. Amen. The second core value that we believe in is Holy Spirit empowerment. Believing that what God requires of each of us is impossible in human strength, we rely exclusively on the power that is provided by the indwelling presence. Of the Holy Spirit apart from him nothing is possible but with him all things are possible can I tell you church we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. When you see everything that's taken place in our world, in our our country, in our society, in our schools, we need the Spirit of Almighty God. The Word of God teaches what's required of us, the lives that we are to live, the attitudes that we are to have, the fruit that we are to bear as Christians, the way we are to treat one another, the way we are to forgive those who hurt us. But can I tell you, church, these cannot be done in our own strength in our own power they are only done through the spirit of God living inside of us to strengthen us so that we can be and accomplish all that God requires of us apart from him we can do nothing but with him all things are possible as pastor even mentioned last week we are unashamed in our belief in the authority of scriptures but we are also unashamed in our belief that those same scriptures Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit has come to live in those who are fully surrendered to Him. Church, we need the Spirit of God. Amen. This is what guides us. This is what provides strength and stability in our lives, biblical authority and Holy Spirit. Empowerment and today we're going to look at our third core value which goes hand in hand with Holy Spirit empowerment and that is relational evangelism turn to your neighbor and say relational evangelism following the example of Jesus we will develop real relationships meet people where they are and walk with them on the path that leads to salvation Through Christ. In this core value, we are following the example of Jesus. When we arrive in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus is still in the city of Capernaum. He's very popular at this time. In fact, the chapter begins, it says that multitudes of people are surrounding Jesus, and and Jesus immediately in chapter 5, he, he heals a man with leprosy, and then after healing the man with leprosy, he enters inside of a home, and, and, and there's a large crowd that is gathered in this home. The religious leaders are present. I love what the Word of God says in Luke 5, verse 17b. This is is the second half of verse 17 it says the power of the lord was present for him to heal the sick how many of you are thankful that the power of the lord is still present to heal the sick amen amen you know the story four guys are carrying their friend a paralytic. They can't get into the doors. They can't get in to see Jesus. They climb on the roof. They lower him down into the middle of the meeting where Jesus is. Jesus heals him. Jesus forgives him of his sins. It's a very popular time in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, the people flock to to witness his miracles and, and to hear his message. This is also around the time that Jesus is beginning to call his disciples and that's what we have here. We have the calling of Matthew or, or Levi. Jesus will call Matthew to himself and the scripture says that Jesus is walking along the shores of Galilee and he passes a man by the name of Levi, by the name of Matthew, who is working in his tax booth and you have to understand Capernaum was Was on the caravan route and so taxes were collected on everything that passed through the town now everything you need to know about Matthew can be summed up in six words Matthew was dishonest he worked for the Romans as a tax collector he had a quota and as long as he met the quota Rome didn't care how much more he collected as a result, tax collectors became very rich as they overcharged people. He was dishonest, but he was also despised. He was among some of the most despised people in Israel. As a tax collector, he would have been isolated in the community. He was a social outcast. The only people he could socialize with were other Tax collectors and rank sinners. He was a hated man in Capernaum. So Matthew's dishonest, he's despised, and we know that he was also disqualified. Tax collectors were not allowed to give testimony as a witness in a court of law because no one trusted them. He would have not been allowed to enter into the temple. He wasn't allowed to go into the synagogue. His offerings would have been rejected as well. We also know that as a tax collector, he was disloyal. Though he was Jewish, he was considered a traitor because he worked for the hated Romans. He turned his back on his family, his nation, his God. He was also detested. He was classed with murderers and robbers, although tax collectors were considered the worst. Jewish people despised the tax collector more than the Roman official, more than the Roman soldier. Sometimes the children would come up and spit upon the tax collectors because they were encouraged to do so by their parents. He was also disgraced. And by extension, his family would have also been ostracized by the community. He was a letdown to his family. He was the source of shame. And here is a man, church. He's dishonest he's despised he's disqualified he's disloyal he's detested and he's disgraced and i love what the scripture says in verse number 27 it says that jesus saw him that jesus saw him and i've got to stop here for a moment and just say this i don't know about you church but i'm thankful there was a day when jesus saw me amen i'm thankful there was a day when i was lost and i was dead in my trespasses and sins against God that Jesus saw me. Jesus didn't pass me by. Some of you here today, there was a time when you were dishonest. There was a time when you were disqualified. There was a time when you were disloyal. But the Lord Jesus found you. He saw you. He looked beyond your faults and saw your need. And Jesus turned your hopeless end into an endless hope. If you're thankful this morning that Jesus saw you, would you just give God a hand clap of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Jesus will summons Matthew with a short command. He says, follow me. And in the Greek, this is in the present tense, and it literally means, be following me. And I love how it translates in the Amplified. In the Amplified, it says, follow me as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher, and walking the same path of life that I walk. It is a call for Matthew to leave his old life behind and to begin a new life following Jesus. Can I tell you church you cannot follow God and still hold on to your old way of living. You cannot follow God and still hold on to your old way of thinking, your old way of behaving. Jesus said, no one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus simply said, follow me. Jesus said, come to me. Jesus didn't say, come to church, although we know it's important and we need to be in the house of God. Jesus didn't say, come to the temple. He didn't say, come to ritual, come to sacrifice, come to good deeds, come to spiritual." enlightenment. Jesus said, come to me. Come to Jesus. Why? Because the word of God says in Acts, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man can be saved, but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus saw Matthew and invited this tax collector, this sinner, to come to himself. When you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus was always willing to go to the rejected, the despised, the lonely sinners. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can I tell you, church, this is why Jesus came to earth. This is why Jesus left the splendors of heaven. Jesus didn't come to make our lives more comfortable. Jesus didn't come so we can accumulate a lot of wealth and accumulate a lot of stuff. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. This was his mission. This was the reason that Jesus came. Do you remember Jesus' first recorded words in the Gospels? Jesus said I must be about my father's business. In Luke chapter 2, I must be about my father's business. Jesus didn't come to do his will. He came to do the will of the father who sent him. He came to reconcile mankind to God the father through his shed blood on the cross. And his simple calling to Matthew was come and follow me. Look at verse number 28. It says, so he left all and he rose up and he followed him he leaves behind all turn to your neighbor and say all the sources of his riches the position his security his comfort he leaves it all for traveling for for hardship for Eventual martyrdom, he will leave his old life for a new life with Christ. You see, church, a lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior, but they struggle allowing him to be their Lord. Jesus even said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do all that I command of you. But can I tell you, church, he's more than the Messiah. He's more than the Savior. He is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. And someday all will submit to that truth. The word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Matthew leaves all to follow Christ. Amen. Look at verse number 29. It says, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them." This lets us know that Matthew was a very wealthy man, He threw a great feast for Jesus and his disciples. And the scripture says that there was a great number in attendance. You need to understand Matthew doesn't invite the mayor, he doesn't invite the high priest, he's not inviting the local uh, school president, he's not inviting the president of the synagogue, he invites his friends, he invites more tax collectors. He invites more sinners. We're talking about the lowest of the low. So I want you to see the scene. You have Jesus, his disciples, Matthew and all of his sinner friends, the social outcast people who were also dishonest, disqualified, disloyal, detested, disgraced. What a group. But again, the reason Jesus came. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And Jesus, in his ministry, in his life, he welcomed outcasts. He loved the unlovables. He touched the untouchables. He ate with the unclean. Jesus pushed the boundaries of what people of his time would have deemed socially acceptable. He went places other religious people wouldn't go. He talked to people other religious people would never speak to. He spent time with sinners, not to partake in their wicked ways, but he spent time with them in an effort to win them. Jesus met people where they were. He met people on their turf. When you read the Gospels, you will find that Jesus had 132 encounters with other people. Now we know that Jesus had more than 132 counters because the scripture says if everything that Jesus said and, and did were, were recorded, that the world would not be able to contain all of the volumes that would be written. So we know that obviously Jesus met with more than 132, but the Gospels give us record, give us account of Jesus meeting with 132. Six of them he met in the temple. Four of them he met in the synagogue, but 122 he met with people in their daily walks of life. Again, our core value, following the example of Jesus. Jesus met all kinds of people, men, women, children. The rich, the poor, nice people, not so nice people, healthy people, sick people, the looked up to, the outcast, the, the working class, the professionals, the priests, the prostitutes, the, the religious, the non-religious, the law-abiding people, and the crooked people, just to name a few. Church, can I tell if there's one thing we learn from this story? It's this, lost people matter to God. Amen? Lost people matter to God. And Jesus engaged people. He conversed with Nicodemus. He met with Zacchaeus. He spoke with the rich young ruler and the woman at the well. Can I tell you, church, this is relational evangelism. Relational evangelism is intentionally positioning oneself in a network of people for opportunity to share The good news. Do you know all the studies tell us today that 85%, 85% of those who come to faith in Christ Jesus do so within the context of an established relationship with another Christian? Think about it. Some studies have it as high as 90%, 85 to 90% of all those who respond to faith in Christ Jesus do so within within the context of a relationship with another believer. Can I tell you, church, this is what relational evangelism is all about. It's spreading the gospel through relational networks. And I often hear people say, I don't like where I am right now. I don't like the job I have. I don't like the boss I have. I don't like the coworkers I work with. I don't like my neighbors. But church, have you ever considered that maybe God has placed you where you are for a purpose? If you're a child of God, the scripture says the steps of the righteous person are ordered from above. They're ordered by the Lord, and each of us lives in a mission field, a sphere of influence. I call it a personal network. You and I know someone, a relative, a friend, a teammate, a neighbor, a student, a teacher, a player, your coach, a boss. co-worker and I believe God has placed you in their life for a purpose you're not there by accident you're not there by happenstance God has strategically placed you in their life for such a time as this and they need someone like you to love on them, they need someone like you to pray for them they need someone to care for them to stand by them, to support them to help them, to care for them, Jesus genuinely cared about those who came in contact with and he gave us a model for how we are to share our faith 72% of Americans 72% 7 out of 10 7 out of 10 in this room admit to one thing they do not know their neighbors you may say hi, you may wave to them, but my question is, church, do you know them? Do they know that you care for them? You may not share a fence with your neighbor, but can I tell you, church, you can share in their burdens. You can share in their concerns. Can you imagine right now, What would happen if every Christian went home and simply focused on their neighbors? Letting their neighbors know, God loves you, and I love you, and I'm praying for you. We say it all the time. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We had an outreach this past summer in August. It's called Serve Week. And in Serve Week, we got outside of the four walls. We partnered with around 40 different organizations. We had 90 different Serve projects. We had 350 volunteers from this church who participated in Serve Week. If you participated in Serve Week, can you just indicate by slipping up a hand, can we thank all of these who participated in Serve Week? Serve Week was about relational evangelism. Again, one of the core values that, that guide us. It was during Serve Week that our church was saying to a lost world, God loves you. God cares for you. You matter to God. We love you. We care for you. You matter to us. I often say it doesn't take much to say, I care. We delivered groceries to seniors in the rain. Why? Because we care. We gave out school supplies to needy families in our community. Why? Because we care. We fixed a roof, we cooked meals, we painted walls, we, we renovated a room, we, we did street ministry, we washed cars. Why? Because we, we care. We installed mailboxes for, for seniors with disabilities because we care. We put siding on a home for a veteran. Why? Because we care. We're thankful for their service. We fixed a ramp and a railing on a playground for children with disabilities, most of them in wheelchairs and motorized scooters. Why? Because we care. We received a beautiful card from that school. On the front it says, thank you so much. Inside, many of the children see them in their chairs and scooters and On the inside, it simply says, thank you for making our sunny days even brighter. God loves you. God cares for you. You matter to God. We love you. We care for you. You matter to us. Jesus is at the feast with Matthew and the tax collectors. Look at verse number 30, going back to our story. The scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? We we sing the song Jesus, friend of sinners, but can I tell you he received that designation from the Pharisees? They were the first ones to call Jesus friend of the sinners. And I love Jesus' response. Again, verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus tells them this is his mission. This is his ministry. This is his message. It was not for those who were well, but for those who were sick. He came to call the not the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. Church, the next time, you're in the doctor's office. You're in the hospital. Look, look around the room. You're going to see patients who look pale. You're going to see others who are walking slowly. Some are going to be in pain. Others are walking maybe with a limp. Some are going to have bandages. Many will be coughing and sneezing. Not too many are smiling. Why? Because hospitals aren't for healthy people. When people are sick, they need a doctor. When people are sick, they go to the doctor. Can you imagine a hospital That had a mission statement that said we're here for the healthy. If you're sick, stay away. We're looking for healthy and perfect people, but the hospitals are for those who are sick. And can I tell you, church, the church is meant to be a place for the sick, for the wounded, for the broken, and the dying. The purpose of the church is to help the hurting, to minister to those who are messed up, to love the unlovely, so that they can have their sins forgiven by the great physician. may not always like it it might even make us uncomfortable at times but church if we're going to follow in the example of christ the church needs to be a place where men and women can come in broken and bruised and battered and they can find healing in jesus name can we give god a hand clap of praise This is not the only time the Pharisees will challenge Jesus on this issue. In fact, if you fast forward 10 chapters to Luke, Luke 15 and verse number 2, the Pharisees say this man receives the sinners... And he eats with them. And, and I love Jesus' response in, in Luke 15. It's different than his response in, in Luke chapter 5. In Luke 15, Jesus is going to tell share with them three stories. And he's going to talk to them about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. And, and one of his sheep goes missing. And Jesus says the shepherd's going to leave the 99 in search of the one. And then when he finds the one, he's going to put them on his shoulders. He's going to carry him home. And then he's going to go to his neighbors and say, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep that was Lost. And then Jesus in Luke 15 is going to tell them a story about a lady who had 10 coins and and she lost one of her coins. You and I may have been tempted to walk away, but not this lady. She lights a candle. She moves the furniture. She begins sweeping and looking in all the nooks and crannies until she finds the lost coin. And then when she finds the coin, she goes to her neighbor and she says, Come and rejoice with me. I found the piece that was missing. And then Jesus will share with them a story about a lost son the prodigal son who says to his father give me my inheritance give me what's coming to me you know the story he goes into the world he squanders all of his life savings he hits rock bottom he decides to return home Jesus says his father sees him coming and the father runs and wraps his arms around his neck and then the father goes home and says tonight we celebrate because my son was once dead but now he's alive he was once lost but now he is found. Can I tell you church the reason I believe that Jesus shared with us the three stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son is because a lost people matter to God and God is not willing that any should perish but that all would have everlasting life and if you're here this morning and you're here today and you have a spouse or you have a son or you have a daughter or you have a family member that's not serving God who's away from God, I want to encourage you today. Keep praying. Keep believing. You may have given up, but God hasn't given up. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to Jesus. And lost people should matter to us. As a church, Jesus says, the shepherd rejoices. The woman rejoices. The father rejoices. And then Jesus says in Luke 15, in verse number 10, he says, likewise, I say to you there's joy in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents why because a lost people matter to god can you give them praise this morning hallelujah Jesus left his ministry of his disciples it continues with you and I today we are his ambassadors we have been called we have been equipped to share our faith the church has a mission yes we come to worship yes we come to be discipled in our faith but the church is also the agency of God for evangelizing the world the church is in the search and rescue business our purpose is to seek lost people until Jesus Jesus returns in glory In Jesus said in John chapter 17 in verse 18 he says as you sent me into the world I have sent them into the world can I tell you church many will never enter into the doors of the church many will never read the bible or hear a sermon but they can still know the heart of Jesus by watching us by watching you and I the way we live the way we conduct our lives the way we speak we are his ambassadors and we represent the king of kings and the lord of lords to a lost and a dying world I've got to wrap this up there's two reasons why people don't go to church, Billy if you can just come and begin to play softly, two reasons why people don't come to church, there are many here are the top two reasons, number one they don't know a Christian and number two they do know a Christian. Hypocrisy undermines our evangelistic efforts like nothing else, but clearly, church, before we can effectively preach it, we must first live it. Billy Graham once said, "We are the Bibles, the world is reading, we are the creeds, the world is needing, we are the sermons, the world is, is heeding. Christians are walking epistles written by God and read by men. We need to be people today who walk the walk, who also talk the talk people who be- Before they speak even a single word, give evidence that there's something different about them. You may be the only Bible that someone ever reads, and my question today is this Are you legible? Your character, your conduct, your conversation, your cover, your contents are being read. What are others seeing? What are others reading? I mentioned earlier in the message the first recorded words of Jesus. I must be about my father's business. But can I share with you now the last recorded words of Jesus in the Gospels. It's Luke 24, 49. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry the city of Jerusalem, till you're endued with power from on high. I love the connection. The first recorded words of Jesus. I must be about my father's business in the gospels. The last recorded words of Jesus. Wait in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus left his ministry with his disciples. And it continues with you and I today. And Jesus said in Acts 1.8 you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Can I tell you, church, the only way we can be effective in our witness for Christ is if we receive power from on high. Power from the Holy Spirit. Power to be an effective witness. Power to live a sacrificial life. Power to live a surrendered life. Power to live a life that is pleasing to God. If we're going to be effective in what God has called us to do, we need to wait till we receive power from on high. I'm closing with some reflection questions. If you have something, you can write them down or maybe pull out your, your phone and take a picture of the screen. I just want to give you some reflections, some questions to consider as we close this morning, and then we'll pray. Here's question number one. When people observe how you live and work, do they see the fruit of being a child of God? Think about it. When people observe how you live and work, do they see the fruit of being a child of God? And then question number two, do your actions match your words? Do they attest to the truth of what you believe? Your actions, do they match your words and attest to the truth of what you believe? And then number three, do people see that your faith makes a positive difference in your life? and work. And as you consider those questions today and as you consider those questions this week, before you leave, I want you to think of one person, maybe two, someone in your network. It might be a neighbor. It might be a co-worker. Someone in your family. Someone who needs to hear the message that God loves them, God cares for them, and they matter to God, their sins can be forgiven. Think of somebody, a person or two, write it down. And this week, let's be intentional. Let's be intentional as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to touch others. With the love of Christ. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you're here today, say, Pastor Joe, I want to receive power from on high. Would you just slip up your hands? Slip up your hands to be an effective witness. Father, you said in your word, do not say four more months. And then the harvest. Lift up your eyes for the fields are ripe into the harvest. And then, God, we're reminded of the words of your Son in John's Gospel, chapter 9. When Jesus said, I must work the works of Him who sent me, for night is coming, and no man can work. Father, we are your ambassadors. We represent you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you've given us as a church and as believers a mission. And Father, we know the only way we can accomplish this task, the only way that we can accomplish this mission is if we are endued with power from on high.